0: Chapter 18 of Dave Dashaway, Around the World, by Roy Rockwood. This is a LibriVox recording, and all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 18, In Strange Lands. Dave and his boyfriends had no cause to regret their meeting with Adrianovsky. Their stay at the trading station, brief as it was, had given new impetus and encouragement to the expedition. The Russian gave them points as to their route that enabled them to save time and distance. Besides that, he named places where they might stop, and he assured of friendly and helpful service from his agents. I tell you, meeting Mr. Adrianovsky was fine luck. "'said Hiram enthusiastically one morning "'as they started up for the day's flight. "'We are pretty sure to reach Lahasa without much trouble, "'aren't we, Dave?' "'To reach its vicinity, you mean,' corrected the young airman. "'I am greatly depending on this Ben Mahanad Adasi "'to whom our Russian friend has directed us.' "'They had left the severe wintry blasts behind them.' two days' flight out of Mokiva. While the weather was not at all summery, the milder climate as they proceeded southward was in pleasing contrast to what they had endured in the bleak and barren solitude of Siberia. So far, everything had gone pretty close to the schedule the pilot of the comet had laid out when they left Washington. They reached stations as planned. There was no trouble in securing gasoline and other supply stores. Then, too, there were pleasant breaks in their arduous flights. The ring Adrianovsky had given Dave acted magically when shown at depots along the route to which he had directed them. It was at Kolyvan that a full day's stop had to be made. There were some machine repairs necessary. Through telegrams and newspapers, the airship boys were able to glean some information as to their competitors in the race. Out of the twelve that had started, only four had reached Sitka. The closest rival was machine number seven, reported at that point six hours after the comet had left. The machine crossed Tibetan territory about noontime. Dave was able to determine this from charts, points given by Adrianovsky, and the contour of the district. It was an interesting panorama they viewed all the rest of that day. They passed over great camel trains traversing the barren plains. THEY HAD A CHANCE TO SEE THE NATIVE YAKS TRAINED TO PERFORM ALL THE DUTIES OF HORSES. THE EXTENSIVE LAMASERIES, OR MONASTERIES, SOME OF THEM BUILT ON THE VERY APEX OF WELL-NIGH INACCESSIBLE CLIFFS, AMAZED THEM. THE COMET WAS VIEWED BY GAPING GROUPS WHENEVER THEY PASSED OVER A SETTLEMENT. Dave had a town called Zerva for his evening destination. It was near here that Ben Mahanad Adasi had his trading station. The young air pilot calculated upon arriving after dark. It might interfere with his plans to have the comet publicly seen so near to the sacred city of mystery." Judging from the landmarks described by Mr. Adrianofsky, said Dave, towards the middle of the afternoon, I think we are quite near to Zerva. That is the trading post of his partner, spoke Hiram. Yes, nodded the young aviator. Those glittering spires and domes in the distance must be Lahasa. We must look for a secure and secluded landing place. This they found soon afterwards. It was at the edge of a rugged hill. Beyond it were some straggling settlements, but the comet was screened from these as it approached the hill from the east. I don't care about attracting the attention of the natives, explained our hero. They are quite fanatical and have probably never seen an airship before. They might think it some demon of the air, or... "'An infernal machine come to destroy their gods and temples.' "'Yes, I think myself we had better keep in the background as much as we can,' agreed Hiram. "'It would be a pity to have a mishap now, with the hardest part of the route covered.' "'But how are you going to locate this Adasi?' inquired Elmer. "'According to what Mr. Adrianovsky told us,' replied Dave, His station cannot be more than a few miles from here. What's your plan about finding him, Dave? asked Hiram. Why, as soon as it gets dark, I will venture down into the valley there. You two will stay here on guard. Keep ready for a quick flight if any of the natives discover the machine. The trio enjoyed the luxury of a grateful rest on the ground while they conversed. Hiram. "'Speedy to recuperate and always active, "'strolled away from his comrades. "'He looked out over the country. "'Then he became interested in watching a man "'just below the point where the comet had landed. "'Say, fellows,' he observed briskly, "'coming back to his friends. "'If you want to see something queer, "'just take a peep over the edge of that rock yonder.' "'What is it, Hiram?' inquired Elmer. "'You have to come with me to find out,' was the reply. "'I can't imagine what a funny old fellow down below there is up to.' "'All right, we'll take a look,' said Dave. "'There he is,' pronounced Hiram, after the others had followed him a little distance and he pointed past a shelving rock. "'On the level of the valley below, a native was squatted before a flat boulder.' he held in his hand a comical metal object with an ivory handle he seemed turning the handle the boys even at the distance they were could hear a click clack sound apparently proceeding from the device say what is that contraption asked the puzzled hiram looks like a cross between a nutmeg-grater and a music-box suggested elmer Dave ventured no opinion. Like the others, he continued to watch the curious pantomime of the native. The lips of the man moved incessantly, making a dull, monotonous drone. Finally, he placed the device on the stove before him and closed his eyes. His body swayed, and he flung his arms aloft. Then he bent his forehead clear to the ground. All the time, he kept up a steady monotone. Finally, he arose to his feet and picked up a knapsack and a long, sharp-pointed spear. He was about to resume his way. Just then, a huge bird, resembling an eagle, only snowy white, sailed down from a tree on the hillside. It swooped over the boulder and made a peck at its surface. The next moment it soared aloft, the trinket in its bill. The native uttered a wild, frantic shriek. Of a sudden, he was transposed into a being denuded of reason. As the bird flew up over the crest of the hill, the man cast himself prostrate on the ground, writhing there in agony beating his head with his hands, his face distorted, he acted like some person in a fit. Well, that's something odd to see, began Hiram. What is it, Dave? The young airman had watched the course of the thieving bird, eagle, macaw, crow, or whatever it was. He saw the bird sail along until its glance fell upon the biplane. Then it dropped to one of the wings. The bauble retained in its bill, it walked over to one of the seats, dropped its prize, and began pecking at the seat cushions. Our hero was on his feet in an instant of time. He ran towards the machine, intent on scaring away the predatory intruder." Dave had picked up a stick. This he hurled at the bird. It gave a sullen croak and took to wing, disappearing on the other side of the hill. The young airman was curious and interested enough to lean over into the body of the machine and secure the object dropped by the bird. He was viewing it critically and with some comprehension of its use, when his comrades joined him. "'What is it, Dave?' queried Hiram eagerly. "'That old fellow below yonder is tearing up the ground and rolling all about in a fearful fashion.' "'I know what it is,' pronounced Dave, "'and I think we had better get it back to its owner and save some mischief for him. This is what is called a prayer mill.' See? This handle turns a silken scroll on a reel all covered with queer-looking characters. These represent the prayers the Tibetans make to their great idol, Da Phan Yan. The priests supply them to the worshippers. They are highly prized. I have read about them and have seen pictures of these queer prayer mills, as they call them. You're not going down there to give it back to the native, are you? asked Hiram, in some surprise, as Dave looked about him to discover the easiest way of descending the hillside. Yes, I think I had better, was the reply. You don't know how these superstitious people value such charms. This prayer mill may have been cherished in that man's family for centuries. It is regarded as an heirloom, and the person losing it probably thinks he is condemned if he does not recover it. Our hero hurried his steps. Descending the hillside alone, he chanced to glance at the native. The man had now arisen to his feet. All his violent manner had disappeared. His face wore a look of sullen despair. He had taken his spear and fastened its end stoutly under an edge of the boulder in a slanting position. Its keen point showed breast high. The man had retreated some twenty feet. There he stood, posed for a run. Dave recalled something he had read of the Harry carry of the rude Asiatic tribes. Suicide. Swift. And terrible was the rule where some great loss, disgrace, or bereavement unsettled the mind. He means to impale himself with all his force on that spear point and end his life, decided the young aviator. Hoy! Hoy! Just in time did Dave distract the native from his tragic purpose. "'He fairly tumbled down the hill "'as the man, running at full speed, "'had almost reached the waiting instrument of death. "'Dave's shout made him waver. "'As he dangled the prayer mill towards the wretched man, "'the latter came to a pause like a statue. "'The eyes of the native were glued to the amulet "'as if he was fascinated. "'To his overheated fancy,' Dave probably suggested some white god sent from the clouds to restore the precious prayer mill. The young airman came directly up to the native and extended the trinket. The dark, bony hand of the devotee reached out and clasped it. He burst into tears, kissed it, caressed it. He thrust it into his bosom and raising his arms in wild gyrations began a shrill, joyful chant. When it was concluded, he cast himself on the ground. Crawling abjectly, he embraced Dave's knees. He lifted his eyes in gratitude. A stout steel chain bearing at one end a serviceable watch, and at its other the ring Andrianovsky had given Dave, met the glance of the grateful suppliant. O-ee! he suddenly shouted. His fingers touched the ring. His eyes, showing an intelligence he could not express, rested on the face of the young aviator. End of chapter 18